we begin every week affirming the truth of what we are. And, you know, just to address a little bit, because I I do this every week, because our human egoic brain has a really hard time wrapping its head around the fact that sometimes the facts, the situations, the circumstances of our life really do not seem to be in alignment with what the truth of us is. So when we affirm that we are strong, positive, powerful, wise, loving, fearless, free spirit, when we affirm that we are that infinite, whatever name you give to it, God, the universe, divine mind, whatever it is that you choose to call that one power, one presence, when we affirm that we are that in expression at the point we are, And our human mind sometimes goes, well, yeah, it didn't sound like it when you were yelling at so-and-so about such-and-such. Or, you know, you weren't especially feeling so powerful and fearless when blah, blah, blah. But that's the whole point to affirmations. Affirmations, as I have said many, 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 many times, and as those of you who have ever studied any unity material at all will know, Affirmations are not magical incantations that somehow when we've said them enough, it makes the world kind of a hallmark unicorns and lollipops sort of a world to live in. Affirmations are affirming what is already true, what is already in that realm of infinite possibility and potential, what is already true. You already are spirit expressing at the point you are. You already are whole, complete, and perfect. No matter what the circumstances of your life may look like, no matter what kind of a train wreck you may feel that you are in the middle of as far as the day-to-day circumstances of your life goes, that's the human who is, the, who is in truth a spiritual being. We still live through our humanity. You know, if I knew the bottom line reason of why it is that we're doing all this, I would share it, but it probably would have already been on the news. Had anyone actually discovered the incontrovertible meaning of life, we would have really probably already heard it. Uh, The Dalai Lama, I think, gave a very good answer one time. There's a, a lovely story and, and it's a true story, you know, I mean, sometimes we hear stories and they're lovely stories, but then when you check them out, and they didn't really so much actually happen. But this one actually happened uh, before the Dalai Lama was as well known on the world stage as he is now. He apparently uh, came to America, and I'm going to say it was in Colorado. That part, I'm iffy on. But he was someplace where there was skiing, and so the monks that he was traveling with wanted to try skiing and so apparently there was the lovely image in our heads of the Dalai Lama and a few other monks in their robes on skis you know trying to uh, figure out and he's you know by all accounts he's quite approachable so after the skiing event they were in the restaurant and the waitress who was serving them found herself thinking You know, this man is supposed to be the current incarnation of the living Buddha. I should, I should try and say something to him that's a little more meaningful than do you want cream for your coffee or something. And so at a point, 
she said that she finally mustered up all of her um, you know all of her all of her nerves and and asked before she was done with her interactions with them if she could ask him one question and he said yes of course ask me a question and she actually asked him what is the purpose of life What is the purpose of life? So now just imagine, you know, like you're like having dinner and all of a sudden your server says, can I get you anything else? No, good. Well, then can I ask you a question? What's the purpose of life? And his answer was, apparently he paused and he said, you know, not too many people actually ask me that question. But I think the purpose of life is to be happy is to do what we can to live and be happy and be kind to one another. And, you know, when I read that, and, of course, she said that she she was really, she realized in that moment that she was expecting something much more profound, but that that was a perfect answer because that's something we can look at on a day-to-day basis. And remember, your core happiness doesn't really... It actually, I shouldn't say, it's not dependent on the things that are going on outside of you. But our goal is not to have our happiness be a victim of external circumstances. So, so I'm good with what the Dalai Lama says. If, if the purpose to us being here is simply to be happy and to treat one another with kindness... That works for me. I don't have to go any further on that one. And so even if we are having one of those days, I'd just be curious. Who's had one of those days within the past two weeks? You know, we could probably keep going and go, who's had two or more or five or ten of those days in the last couple of weeks? You know, no matter what's going on out there, and, and I'm just going to say, for some reason, you know, I have been on, well, I know part of the reason is because I receive all the prayer requests. And sometimes we will go for literally weeks and nobody will reach out with a prayer request. And this has been one of those couple of weeks that has been kind of every day. Something is going on for someone. If our purpose here is simply to learn to be happy and to be kind to one another, we have to learn how to do that even when the circumstances, even when it's El Tour de Tucson Day and you forgot you had to go to the grocery store and you forgot it was Tour de Tucson Day until you were sitting there for 45 minutes and then ended up finally being able to turn around and go home without whatever it is you needed. Even in the midst of all of that, if our purpose is to learn to be happy and to be kind to one another, we have to learn how to cultivate that ability to find our equanimity, to find our peace separate from all of the things that are always changing. And so the one place that we can control is our own inner beingness. We can control our own thoughts. We can control whether we choose to be a victim of all of the circumstances in our lives or whether we choose to say, you know what, this thing is apparently happening right now. And do I like it? No. Do I wish it had happened? No. But am I going to let it rob me of the calm peace of my soul? No.
So this is why we use affirmations. This is why we use our spiritual toolbox. This is why we cultivate practices so that when we are in the middle of stuff, that we can, even if it takes us a while, you know, sometimes it takes us a minute or ten or an hour or ten or a day or ten to remember, but at some point we remember, ah, I am strong, positive, powerful, wise, loving, fearless, free spirit. I am the infinite expressing at the point I am, and I am peace in the midst of all matters, no matter what. And this is why we repeat this every week together. This is why we affirm this truth every week. Because at some point, you are going to get knocked about by something. And in your mind will already be the response to that, which is to remember, this is the truth of me. So if you are willing and if you wish to do so, and if, you know, if maybe you're new and you just walked in, you go, well, I don't know, I kind of got to think about that, then think about it. You don't need to speak this with us unless you wish to do so. So those who wish, assume your posture of power, whatever that means to you, and speak with me. Releasing the things that are behind, I realize I am strong, positive, powerful, wise, loving, fearless, free spirit. I am the infinite expressing at the point I am I am peace in the midst of all matters. And so it is. And on a day like today, we say also, and aren't we thankful that that is as it is. So next up, we have some words from uh, Myrtle Fillmore. You all know she's one of my favorite teachers. And Myrtle has uh, what we have as two books. They were never written as books. They were written in the form of letters and some of them from talks that she gave but primarily letters and there are a couple of uh, at the back of one of the books there's a series of really nice mostly brief um, essays about Thanksgiving Christmas on maternity that's a chapter heading you don't find a lot on maternity um, and Myrtle was an interesting character when it came to when it came to earthly type things one is of course she is very grounded in the life that we are all living the other thing is that a lot of the people who approached her for prayer and for guidance were housewives they were women who maybe did not feel comfortable bringing some of their spiritual questions to the predominantly male um, clergy that was around back in the late 1800s. And so it's very interesting as you read Myrtle. She talks a lot about women being sort of the heart of the home and about how it was up to the women who were the heads of households to make sure that the term she used was actually matrix, to make sure that these little ones have a positive matrix in which to grow. Um, so she gives a lot of advice about women's home ministries. And I think that's an interesting thing that, you know, in her, in her 
concept, and this carries through to today. A lot of Myrtle's responses were very traditional for her time. But, you know, we do still look. We look at our musical artists as having music ministries. We look at our teachers as having teaching ministries. And, and so we don't just limit ministry to what what this building is or to what I serve on the letterhead as the spiritual leader of. Ministries are what is your work in life and how do you align your work in life and make it your ministry. And so Myrtle has a lot of, uh, a lot of guidance for mothers and housewives and I just always kind of chuckle a little bit when I read about her talking about serving healthy meals and keeping the home clean and all of this because Myrtle pretty much did none of that. (laughs) Myrtle, in the first part of her life, she did. She was a very traditional, very traditional mother and homemaker. But once Unity started going, um, Charles's, Charles's mother did all that. Charles's mother. Mother Fillmore did all of that um, to the point that when Unity Village was built and her son was serving as architect in that, when he designed the home for Charles and Myrtle to live in, it did not even have a kitchen. <laughs> so as I was reading Myrtle this morning and her talking about, you know, about preparing good foods for Thanksgiving and all of that, I thought, yeah, you go, you go there, you talk about that. <laughs> And I, I mean no disrespect to Myrtle because, you know, goodness knows I don't cook either. And she didn't even live in a time where there were rotisserie chickens to pick up. So I don't even know how that happened. But at any rate, Myrtle has this whole essay on Thanksgiving. A whole lot of it focuses on keeping the home orderly and nice and all of that good stuff. Because if a family lives in a home where order is honored, then they will learn more about their learning to keep their thoughts orderly and all of that. So it's, it's a good, good essay. But I pulled out just a little bit here where she sort of just talks about thanksgiving in general. So thanksgiving and gratitude are qualities of the soul too little understood and exercised. Heaven and earth listen and respond to the soul that is quickened into praise and thanksgiving. Don't you love that line? Heaven and earth listen and respond to the soul that is quickened into praise and thanksgiving. And in case you don't know that word quickened, that's kind of an old-fashioned word that means brought to life. So when we talk about praise and thanksgiving, this is not just a good manners thing. Like, oh, well, you should say please and thank you and all of that. This is actu- These are actually spiritual practices that, according to her, she felt were too little exercised. Praise is gratitude in action. Again, a line I just love. Praise is, ad- is gratitude in action. We see so many, especially on, on Facebook, of course, at this time of year, there's all the memes about being thankful and this and that. But if we think about praise, calling forth the good, actually honoring the blessings that we have and naming them, I am so appreciative that we have this space to come together in. Well, you know, there's a whole lot of months that really the only time I think about 
the physical space here as if either something is broken down or if it's time to pay the rent. I don't spend a lot of time actually walking in the building, looking at the walls, and going, aren't we blessed to have this space? I, I should do that more often, and I hope that you all are doing it as well. Aren't we blessed? And what about when you walk into your own home? Do you ever just pause at that doorway and just allow gratitude to be what you are in that moment? So praise is gratitude in action. Try it in your home. If giving thanks has in the past increased meager supply into superabundance, the thing can be done again. And then she goes on, next slide please, she goes on to say, Elisha did it and Jesus did it. That same power is latent in you. Why not bring it forth? Remember that when we talk about people, biblically based people like Elisha, and he was the one with the little bit of oil that that just kept providing light. And Jesus, of course, demonstrated through the feeding of the multitudes, through the miracles of the loaves and the fishes, that he also was able to take a small amount. And in fact, his very first miracle that we're told in the Bible was about turning water into what? Wine. And it was not the cheap wine. It even says in there, it even says in that story, this wasn't the wine that, you know, usually the practice was, I guess, to start off with the good wine. So everybody thought, everybody thought, wow, this is really a happening kind of a thing. But once people started getting drunk, Then you brought out the cheap stuff. You brought out the stuff that people really didn't have that discerning palate anymore in. So it's actually commented on that the water he turned into wine was the good stuff. The good stuff. And and so the point is, and, and the point on these, as with everything in the Bible, you know, we don't necessarily know what actually happened, but what we know are the stories that have come to us through the ages. So we don't know what was what was happening there some people absolutely believe that these were real miracles that really really truly happened others believe that you know I just kind of can't go there but I can go with the fact that we have the power to create good in our lives so wherever you are on that spectrum we have these stories that say people overcame amazing, amazing situations of lack. The feeding of the, the miracle of the loaves and fishes. Um, you all know that my Bible, my Bible facts are not good enough that I'm not going to quote things perfectly. But there were like something like five loaves of bread and three fish, and thousands of people. Now the numbers that are given were only actually reflecting the numbers of men who were there because, of course, in those days, that was all that mattered. But we know that those men had with them wives and children and helpers. And so when we project out, we know there were literally hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands of people who ended up being fed. Again, what happened? I do not know. I do not know. And, and, and any, you're, on any given day, you're likely to catch me in between. Was it really a miracle or was it just that everybody was traveling along and they all had stuff? And once it came time to eat, everybody just sort of brought out their stuff and shared and, and everything. But it does also tell us that there were bushels and baskets of leftovers. So we went from a situation of apparent lack 
to one where we had a huge amount of leftovers. And the way that these things were facilitated biblically was through the giving of thanks. It was through the acknowledgement of thank you for the blessings that we have. Jesus' words normally were something along the lines of thank you, Father, that you hear me. And we thank you for your gifts. It wasn't like, oh, please, 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 I got all these people here, you know, we're going to have... We're going to have 5,000 people here today and we forgot to get caterers and at some point they're all going to get hungry and we're not going to know what to do, so please, drop me a miracle. Well, it's not that at all. It's take what we have, whatever that is, bless it, break it apart, allow that sharing to happen and know that everything you need is provided. So Myrtle's point in bringing up these are that these were two men. You know that we do not teach that Jesus was any more divine than you are. Jesus was in all likelihood much more gifted at living from his divinity than we are. But that's kind of our big our kind of big split off from traditional Christianity is that we do not believe that Jesus was the one and only. We teach that rather than being the great exception, that Jesus was actually the great way shower, the great example of what we could all do. So if we have these stories that Elisha could, trans, could, could transcend his apparent lack through praise and thanksgiving. And if we have this example that Jesus could transcend the appearance of lack and limitation through praise and blessing, if we are the same stuff that they were, then why can't we bring forth our good through praise and thanksgiving. Now the truth is most of us are not going to be called upon to feed 5,000 people with three loaves, three fishes and five loaves of bread. Most of us will not really have to do the things that we're told about. Most of us will not be called upon to turn water into wine. And it is not outside of our theology to believe that there are still rules and principles active in the universe that we don't understand yet. Once upon a time, the thought that we could get in our car after church on a Sunday, drive to the airport, put ourselves into a big metal tube, and be in New York by bedtime would have been thought of as just crazy, crazy talk. And it would have been thought of as the largest miracle ever. And yet, right now, there are people on their way to the airport, especially on this weekend. Some of you in this room may be on your way to the airport to go to other places to celebrate with your families. We don't think of that as a miracle. We go, well, no, that's, that's aeronautics. That's not a miracle. Well, it was a miracle the day before we figured out how to do it. 
It's the same thing, you know, we look at the diseases. You know, in Jesus' day, in Bible times, the disease of leprosy was horrendous. It was absolutely horrendous. And had someone walked up into a colony of lepers who were so feared and so, so, they just strike such terror that they could not even live in company with healthy people. If someone would have walked into there and said, you know, if you just take this pill regularly, you'll be good. And yet we tend to think we don't have miracles anymore. That would have been a huge miracle. And yet at this point, that's how the disease of leprosy is managed, is just through taking pills. It's not that it has disappeared. It's that we have now learned the principles and the science behind it. So whatever the overwhelming thing is that you think you can't do, we have examples of people who have gone before us and done things people thought they couldn't do. And according to Myrtle, the path to this is through blessing, thanksgiving, and gratitude. So she finishes off by saying, if you've never practiced daily thanksgiving in your home, you have left unused one of the most potent factors available to you for bringing about ideal conditions in your household. And I will, I will admit, when I was actively parenting, you know, I did not go about my day offering praise and thanksgiving. It was a very, very hard thing for me. Um, you know, I never did bond with housework. I still, I still cook maybe once or twice a week. Uh, but, you know, what I have learned over the years is how to release the fear that I used to live with, is how to release a lot of the insecurity is how to release that continual weight of what's going to go badly next. So when we begin focusing instead of what's the next bad thing that's going to happen, and instead turn our thoughts to what is the good that is already present. And this remains for me, this remains one of my most helpful one of my very most helpful spiritual tools. I have recognized that for me, and you you know, this is your mileage may vary, but for me, I have found that it is next to impossible for me to simultaneously hold thoughts of fear, anger, resentment, all of that, and gratitude. What I have found is that when I find myself starting to wallow in that victim consciousness, when I find myself feeling anxiety, when I find myself thinking, this happened and then that happened and then this happened and oh my God, what is the next bad thing that's going to happen? When I can recognize, when I can be mindful and aware and recognize that that's the mental and emotional path I'm traveling on, in that moment that I remember, I can pause. I can breathe. And quite frankly, my first, my first object of appreciation is the fact that I remembered. I'm thankful that I noticed what my thoughts were doing. I'm thankful that I have enough mental capacity to 
press the pause button on those and that in that pause I can remember to breathe. And then as I use that breath, then I can begin remembering I release that. I am strong, positive, powerful, wise, loving, fearless, free spirit. I do not need to dwell in anxiety. I do not need to dwell in fear. I have spiritual tools. I have learned how to overcome some of that. And so this is why we practice gratitude and appreciation. It's a way of contradicting and counteracting the negatives in our lives. And you already know, it does not take any sort of hugely adept spiritual person to recognize. If I sat here and told you all to focus on all of the bad things that had happened in your lives, would any of us even run out of things to talk about? I mean, if we just opened up the conversation and said, okay, what's all the bad stuff you've had to walk through? We would just go on and on. and Oh, yeah, and then there was this, and then there was this, and then there was this. There is no space in that litany of bad stuff to be thankful and to recognize the good. However, if we shifted that around and we said, what, are the, what is the good that is in your life? By the time four or five of you made comments, then the rest of you would be going, oh yeah, and then there's that, and this and that. And the space in this room would lighten up. And we would all just feel better. So if for no other reason than you're going to feel better living in appreciation, which goes back to the Dalai Lama. Be happy and kind to one another. So we see how all of this just weaves a message of gratitude and appreciation from one place to another. And the only thing it requires, it doesn't require you spending a lot of money taking courses. It doesn't require traveling around the world to go to workshops. It doesn't require the endless Amazon account to buy more and more and more and more books. It doesn't require getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning on Black Friday to go shop. All it requires is the willingness and the commitment to stay mindful of where am I practicing blessing? Where am I actually living in appreciation? And it's such an important part that as we teach our unity prayer process, it's one of the steps in our... We have this five-step prayer process, which is first we just simply allow ourselves to relax... And then we begin to just focus on matters of spirit and truth. And then we become still. We become still. We rest in silence. And then there is a point in that silence where we have let go of all of the stuff. We kind of have that big outbreath of, Oh, yes, I am peace in the midst of all matters. And then we close with thanksgiving, with praise, with gratitude. So we're going to do that now. So I invite all of you to simply become comfortable in your chairs. The first thing you could be thankful for is just the, the, the principle of gravity. Do you ever just be thankful for gravity? You know, unless you're falling off the edge of the Grand Canyon, gravity is normally a good thing. We don't have to worry about floating off in our seats. We don't have to take any energy at all 
to simply sit and relax. And that's our first step. The next step is simply to begin focusing your thoughts in what again Myrtle Fillmore, to use one of her lines, she called it focusing your thoughts in the Godward direction. So we just remember there is one power, one presence active in my life. I am strong, positive, powerful, wise, loving, fearless, free spirit. I give thanks. I offer appreciation. I have the blessings in my life. And one of the ways that we do that here is through music. So as this next song plays, just allow its words to usher you into a quiet, still place of blessing. And as always, if you wish, sing along.
blessed day Emmett Fox another one of our new thought leaders new thought teachers suggested that we train ourselves to make our first awakened thought every single morning when we wake up to make that first thought one of gratitude of God of good In this moment, allow your own thoughts to focus on the blessings in your life. Perhaps you're sitting next to someone that you appreciate and that you know is a blessing in your life. And we bless them. And whether you are here with someone or not, you are here with each of these friends Everyone in this room wishes you well, whether or not you've ever even met one another. You are wished well by so many people, known and unknown. And we allow those thoughts of the people who have blessed our lives to extend to those who are not with us today for whatever reason for whatever reason that they may not be here with us in physical proximity they are still with us in consciousness so we bring each of those into our hearts and there will in each one of us in our hearts there will be those people who are no longer with us in this physical world and yet they live with us in our hearts and they're never further than a thought away and we bless each of those as well we allow these thoughts of blessing of goodwill of kindness to radiate forth from this room to the neighborhood and we just imagine this wave of gratitude and appreciation washing over all of those all of those people in the church in the next parking lot maybe they'll just feel a little wave of blessing float through and we allow that to radiate forth to those who are working across the street to all of those who live in the houses nearby we radiate this appreciation for everyone for all of these divine expressions of life to simply radiate forth knowing good and well-being for all beings everywhere and if we should run out of humans to bless We of course we've added in our animal companions 
And then we give thanks just for the simple good in our lives. We do have chairs to be seated upon. We have a building in which to gather. We have homes to retreat to. We have food on the table. We have laughter in our lives. And in any moment that we choose to remember, we have peace and joy in our hearts. So we allow our focus to simply be on blessing the good and of allowing that feeling of praise and thanksgiving to fill us to capacity and to overflowing as we simply sit together in stillness. We realize in this moment how very blessed we are. Even with the momentary troubles that may be visiting us, we can choose to shift our perspective up higher and remember that whatever apparent difficulty we're walking through, there was a time before it was here and there will be a time when it is done. We know and we are thankful. We offer our appreciation to all of the teachers who have gone before us, to everything that has helped us to uncover more of our own authentic truth. And we commit in this moment to allow that light to shine brightly, to share the gifts that we have, to express our gratitude to others, and to bless all of the good we offer thanks we know these things are so we know we are blessed by this truth and so it is Amen so again these last words of Myrtle's uh, just to just to kind of repeat we know that everybody who did any kind of miracle that we have heard about in whatever tradition we have heard about it We know that they were humans. They were humans who walked this path, unfolding more and more of the divine truth of what they were. And if they have that power, you have that power. And if they could use that power, you can use that power. We have to practice. We have to bless that potential in each and every one of us. And as we do that, we realize that what starts happening is the good begins to become magnified and that that we don't want just kind of becomes smaller and smaller. And when on occasion it blows up, because it has in the past and it probably will in the future, we have tools. We have tools. We have our minds. We can actually shift our experience in any moment. There is a saying that I have heard attributed to one of the divine science teachers, and that is that you are never more 
than one thought away from peace. All we have to do, and I say that all, I don't mean that it's necessarily easy, but it's not complicated, is to remember. So thank you all for being here this week. Um, I hope that as you go about this week of Thanksgiving, that you will find plenty of opportunities to just pause and genuinely remember that, that the Thanksgiving is an inside job and it's independent of all of the stuff that's going on out there. We give thanks for the stuff out there too, but within is where peace is. Thank you, everyone.